Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Jennifer Fan, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Washington. We'll be discussing her article, The Landscape of Startup Governance in the Founder-Friendly Era, which was recently published in the NYU Journal of Law and Business. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Jennifer, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Jennifer, I wonder if you were to give somebody a really quick rundown of just what it is a board of directors of a publicly traded company does and what it is and what its purpose is, what would you tell that person? And I might pose the same question, but with respect to the boards of directors of VC-backed startups and the tech space in particular, what do those boards do? Who's on the boards? And what's their purpose? And are there any differences between that public company board and the VC-backed startup board? The board's primary responsibility is oversight. It's not responsible for the day-to-day management of the company. The board's decisions must be based on what is in the best interest of the stockholders, and it has to adhere to certain fiduciary duties, ranging from the duty of care to the duty of loyalty. A public company board also needs to determine how to address important issues such as accounting and compliance oversight, executive compensation, CEO succession planning, material transactions, shareholder relations, crisis management planning, risk management, and assisting the CEO in setting the proper tone at the top. There are also specific requirements regarding the board set forth under SEC regulations, stock exchange listing requirements, proxy advisories, and the laws of the state of incorporation of the company. One example is that the majority of the board needs to be independent, and certain committees need to be formed, as well as the Audit Committee, Compensation Committee, and Nominating and Corporate Governance Committee. Now, your question with respect to how it might differ in the startup context is that the board is responsible for a lot of the same things in the startup context. It's responsible for oversight, as it is in public companies. It's also responsible for hiring and firing the CEO, guiding the business's long-term strategic direction, approving certain actions such as major acquisitions, financings, et cetera, and maintaining compliance and good corporate governance, to name a few. I would say that the biggest difference between private and public company boards is that public company boards are subject to many more procedures and requirements. So when the company is still private, the line between ownership and control is fluid because the majority of the common stockholders are often part of management, and the majority series preferred stockholders usually have a designated seat on the board pursuant to a contract. So there are these three types of directors at different stages of a startup's development, the founder management director, the investor director, and the independent director. The most important consideration for the independent director is that they're recruited for their industry expertise, where the startup strategically needs more guidance or perspective, and diversity, equity, and inclusion considerations are secondary. The duties of care and loyalty also serve as guiding principles for directors like they do in the public company context and increase in importance as the company matures. I want to note here that the independent director in the startup context is not the same as the independent director in the public company context. There's also no requirement in the private company context that a majority of the board is independent. Your article is an empirical investigation of startup company boards and the particularly 
tech industry VC backed startup boards. Could you talk a little bit about some of the research questions you went in to answer in this paper and what your empirical approach in answering those questions was? For years, VC-backed companies were media darlings. You saw numerous success stories ranging from Theranos to Uber to WeWork. And these companies were all hailed as innovative and revolutionary. They also had eye-popping valuations. But then came their very public reckoning, and they were knocked off their pedestals in a big way. The problem story that came out of these high-profile startup failures was that corporate governance was not working. But I had a different perspective and wanted to test my hypothesis with attorneys working with VC-backed companies and their directors, officers, and investors. My hypothesis was this. Corporate governance mechanisms generally worked, but they were not being implemented or prioritized at critical junctures in some of the most well-known startups because of founder-friendly terms, economic reasons such as high valuations, or a focus on growth at all costs. Also, some of the proposed fixes, such as appointing more independent directors, would not have the intended impact. To test my hypothesis, I created a survey through consultations with experts in survey design and statistical analyses. I asked attorneys at law firms with deep practice experience in VC financings to respond to the survey and circulate it to their respective practice groups. Although the number of responses I received was not enough to make any broad generalizations, the findings that I received were interesting and pointed to further areas of study. The respondents were geographically dispersed and over three quarters of them were partners and nearly 75% of the respondents had done 100 or more deals. So just in that group alone, the respondents had done thousands of deals. I used a Likert scale, which is one of the most widely used forms of attitude measurements in survey research, and a ranking system for my survey. When I presented my article at the Tulane Corporate and Securities Law Roundtable in March 2020, I was encouraged to think about delving deeper into the survey results by conducting interviews with attorneys in the venture capital space. So at that point, I decided to do semi-structured interviews and use the snowball sampling technique to identify interviewees. Also, in light of COVID-19, I pivoted and changed the direction of my paper. So just as COVID-19 had upended our lives by changing the ways we taught and communicated and how we managed our family life when we needed to homeschool our kids, so did it drastically alter the trajectory of startups from months of runway to change in revenue to how many employees they could keep. It became apparent to me that it would be important to look not only at how corporate governance and startups operated in good times, but what it looked like in bad economic times as well. So more specifically, I wanted to find out how differently corporate governance evolved in good versus bad economic times. I also wanted to know how contractual mechanisms differed. So ultimately, I interviewed 31 attorneys and they coalesced around a few main points. From these interviews with these attorneys and from the surveys with the attorneys, what were some of the key takeaways or key findings that you found? And did those either confirm your hypothesis or allow you to reject your hypothesis? Or were there any complications with what you expected to find and what you did find? Yeah, so I had four key findings. So first, after the Great Recession, a founder-centric model of governance emerged. Second, independent directors do not play the role of tiebreaker or swing vote as assumed in corporate law scholarship. In fact, what I found here is that the board is driven by a consensus building process. Independent directors are rarely, if ever, the loudest voices in the room, nor are they the dissenters. Third, although corporate governance is generally framed using best practices, it's implemented and valued and sustained differently in good versus bad economic times. A growth at all costs mindset pervades during good economic times and corporate governance practices are influenced by that. In contrast, corporate governance becomes increasingly important during economic downturns. 
In fact, that playing out right now as startup valuations are plunging and money is flowing much less freely. Fourth, the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives are still in their nascent stages and are generally not prioritized. Instead, the focus is on the startup's growth or survival. My hypothesis wasn't too different from what the research results ultimately yielded. There really weren't any surprises at the end of the day, although I think that to the scholarly community, perhaps my finding that independent directors do not play the role of tiebreaker or swing vote might have been surprising to them. The folks that you surveyed and interviewed have seen lots of deals and lots of different circumstances, presumably. Do your findings vary depending on the life stage of the startup? Do they vary based on what the economic conditions are, either generally in the economy at large or within the company? Or are the findings pretty consistent across startups in the sample that you looked at? Surprisingly, it was fairly consistent. And so my findings generally depended on a few factors, the life stage of the VC-backed startup, general economic conditions, and whether the startup was within a hot sector, such as fintech. So in practice, corporate governance plays out informally. While there are fiduciary duties and contractual provisions, corporate governance is primarily driven by best practices framework. Issues are worked out in conversations between board members, and decisions are already socialized well before coming to the board meeting. Very rarely is the vote not unanimous. The earlier the stage in the company, the more power the founder management directors have. Independent directors are typically not added until series B or C, although there might be a placeholder for them before then. In good economic times, the founder management directors decide on how quickly or slowly to implement corporate governance measures. In bad economic times, the economic divergence becomes more meaningful. So there are more protective provisions and founder-friendly terms decrease. And this brings a tension that plays out in the corporate governance structure. Investor directors pay more attention and ask harder questions, and they are the ones in the driver's seat. Founder management directors have less power, and there are also more frequent board meetings. From some of the empirical insights that you've gained from this study, do you see any opportunities for improving corporate governance and VC-backed startups? Are there areas where governance is not where it ought to be or areas where it could be at a more optimal level? Are there any opportunities or problems that you spot on that front? Yeah, so in thinking about this issue, Andrew, I had the following normative recommendations that I summarized in my paper. So I suggested holding more trainings for directors, especially in the case of first-time directors who serve a diversity, equity, and inclusion purpose. I also suggested that forming more board committees, particularly during challenging economic times, to ensure that issues such as compensation or diversifying the board are given proper consideration. I also talk about identifying culture risks and implementing corporate governance measures in a methodical way during good economic times, such as IPOs, acquisitions, financings, and dealing with challenges with founders instead of being at the whim of the founder. In addition, having fewer board members to ensure that board dynamics are not altered because of the number of people in the boardroom is something else that startups could consider to improve corporate governance. And lastly, as I mentioned earlier, diversity, equity, and inclusion measures are not really considered often in the startup context. But to ensure that they are, I would suggest employing diversity riders in venture capital financing documents and recruiting underrepresented groups for key hires. 
And you could also consider them in the context of investors and in the composition of the board. What key takeaways would you like listeners, whether they're academic listeners or folks in industry, in the VC world, or perhaps in the startup world, what key takeaways would you like those folks to take from this article and from this interview? And are there open questions that this study has spurred for you that you hope to investigate in the future? I think the key takeaways I had mentioned earlier were the four primary findings that I had, some of which I said might have been surprising and others not. But in terms of open questions, my article, The Landscape of Startup Corporate Governance in the Founder-Friendly Era, didn't get into the issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in as much depth as I would have liked. It also focused primarily on venture capital investors in the investor-director context. I decided to address these two topics separately in two new articles that I'm writing. So one is entitled Startup Biases, which is forthcoming in the UC Davis Law Review in 2023. And another one is called Non-Traditional Investors, which is forthcoming in the BYU Law Review in 2022. So I do think that there's a lot more that needs to be looked at within the DEI context as well as the non-traditional investor context. All right. So two excellent forthcoming pieces for folks to keep an eye out that will help extend some of the insights of this article. Our guest today has been Jennifer Fan, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Washington. We've discussed her article, The Landscape of Startup Corporate Governance in the Founder-Friendly Era, which was recently published in the NYU Journal of Law and Business. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Jennifer, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.